Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Corner, Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley coming at you on a Tuesday morning, June 22nd. Shout out to Jonathan Rob. Don't know if he goes by Jonathan, <laughs> if that's on the Spanish birth certificate or not, but that was that was pretty fun. I know, Chris Presley, you are not a diehard golf fan, but you get into the majors, and yep. I think any sports fan can appreciate that emotion coming out of uh, Mr. Rom on Sunday afternoon. And boy, is he playing well. I mean, that should be two yeah, in a row, right? right. You're right. I know. I feel like we forgot at the Memorial he was up six shots on a great field, on a great golf course. And uh, maybe I'm saying that because I didn't pick John Rahm. Um, although someone messaged me and said that I picked him on the podcast. Maybe I did. I didn't pick him in our my, – my brother and I are in a league. So, um, granted, I don't think we could pick him. I think we already picked him earlier in the year. But that's neither here nor there. Um, shout out to him. Awesome, awesome finish. Feel bad for Louis Eustazen. Um But, yeah, that was a fun – Way to kind of cap cap the weekend there. So uh, now we get into NBA Finals. Yep. Four teams left there and a little bit of NHL, and then it gets quiet, and we'll keep coming at it. Uh, what do we got? About four weeks? One, two, three, four. Yeah, four and a half weeks, five weeks until training camp. And so we'll have a podcast each and every week um, up until Grand Park. And we still haven't got an official schedule yet on what training camp is going to look like at Grand Park. I know there are some – Talk of July 27th kind of being the day mm-hmm. that veterans get back in the buildings with teams. I don't know if that is report day, if that's actual first practice day. I believe that's a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll keep you posted on that front. Kevin, um, happy belated Father's Day. I know we mentioned it last podcast. Thanks. But thanks, to all man. the fathers out there that are listening, happy Father's Day to you guys. Yeah. Appreciate How was that. yours? Uh, it was nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> um wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. I, I, I was able to play golf on Saturday, so I greatly appreciate uh, having time at, at, out on the golf course. Rosie did take kind of a pseudo first step. Nice. Yesterday, um, or I should say Sunday. Don't know if she's really, She I don't think she has taken another step since, so maybe it was just kind of a false alarm mm-hmm. and like, I don't know if I like that and I just rather <laughs> crawl, crawl everywhere and, you know, you turn the other way and I'm seven steps up. So yeah, um, it was awesome though. It was good, good Father's Day, and I'm sure she's at the age where she's pulling herself up. Oh yeah, at, at any place she can be at. Yeah, I was like, I didn't even know we had a drawer there. I, I didn't <laughs> even know that you could. Oh, you can touch the burner now. Great. That's All right. Exactly. Exactly what I want. So, no, it was a n- nice Father's Day. It was pretty good weather. We were up at my in-laws' lake house, and I know it was kind of dicey here in Indy, so it was nice to mm-hmm. be up there. Then stopped at my family's house on the way back. So awesome. Yeah, today's pod, we're going to get into what I liked and what I didn't like about the offseason. I feel like we are through the bulk of it, mm-hmm. really probably 95% of it, to be honest with you. So kind of analyze what I think we look at as a pretty critical offseason for the Colts in 2021. And then, uh, what, we got about 10 or 12 Twitter questions. Not a ton. We're kind of shortening up a little bit of the pod for you as we uh, get into the quietest time of the off season, but we'll continue to come at it once a week until training camp. Yeah, let's start right there. You talk about what you let's start with what you did like with the off season. And the first thing that you wanted to mention, and clearly Chris Ballard addressed it, the offensive line depth. Yeah, again, uh, this is a big priority for me entering the off season. It was certainly a uh, major mistake from last year's football team. I think something that we forget about the 2020 Colts is, yes, you had Costanzo get banged up late in the year. You know, Braden Smith missed the game late in the season. Really, you had pretty good offensive line health. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm willing to bet if you look at the Colts O-line compared to the rest of the league, I would say the Colts had above average offensive line yeah. health. I cannot tell you, Chris, the last time the Colts had a starting offensive lineman Missed four or five games in a row. Like, something to that degree. I guess Costanzo to start the 2018 season when he had that hamstring. Mm -hmm. And, again, you were scrambling your whole offensive line during that stretch. And then you eventually found that starting five that we see until today, until Costanzo decided to retire. But 
Um, it, it's pretty wild to me that you've gone like nearly three seasons and you haven't had a guy, whatever, tear a meniscus and miss a month and a half. You know, something like that. Right. So yeah. um, I think it was important that you don't take that for granted and you still go out and you are able to add the offensive line depth that you have. I um, was working on a 53-man roster article yesterday morning that I'm going to post here uh, right before training camp, just kind of a projected look at it. Uh, by the way, I don't know if our audience, I'm sure they've seen this, but just to remember, they're changing up roster cuts this year. I think I have this right, Chris, but basically the roster cut days are going to be on Tuesday during August. Okay. And you're going to start on, I think, August 17th, I believe, is the first cut-down day. So that is after the first preseason game? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You cut from 90 to 85. So, you know, whatever. You cut to 85 right now. 85 to 80 the following Tuesday. So that's after the second preseason game. Then after that third and final preseason game on Tuesday, August 31st. Typically, it's been the Saturday of Labor Day. Yeah. Sounds like the NFL is saying, hey, college football, we can't compete with the first, which is shocking. The NFL is actually admitting that they can't <laughs> compete with something. But they're right. The first Saturday of college football is heaven, and they have now pushed that up to Tuesday. So August 31st is the cut-down day to 53. But basically what I'm getting at, Chris, is I started to cut down the offensive line, and boy, I mean – you're going to cut a guy that has a resume. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we'll see how injuries play out and whatnot. But, yeah, I would say the thing I liked the most about this offseason was just really, really shoring up, at least on paper, that offensive line depth. And you would imagine also, I mean, the locker room presence that those guys bring. I mean, they, co they come to work every day with the hard hat, you know. Yeah. If they've been in the league that long and they have a resume, they're coming to work. Yeah, and I think obviously what you have now with Costanzo leaving is he was the epitome of maybe not the most vocal, but just carried himself with a work ethic that I know Quentin Nelson really respects and I think a lot of guys up front. So a little bit of changing the guard there, just in pure leadership of that O-line room. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Ryan Kelly's your NFLPA rep. And yep. obviously Nelson carries himself uh, with a work ethic and a presence that's second to none. So I'm not worried about that there at all. Yeah. Second thing you wanted to talk about was taking a chance at quarterback. I know it was a, a kind of a head-scratcher for some people, but the way we talked about it in previous podcasts, if people want to go back and listen, Sam Ellinger, you know, bringing someone else in. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, I'm looking here more at Carson Wentz. Like, to me, that is taking a chance at QB that still offers a relatively high ceiling. Mm -hmm. That's where I kind of look at it as, you know, you could go – a little bit more stopgap, but I was team draft, as you know, you guys have heard on this podcast. But the closest thing to team draft that offers again a ceiling that's relatively high is a move that yep. you made with Carson Wentz. You know, some might argue Sam Darnold, you know, whatever he's younger, you know, similar top three pick, whatnot. I've still in the rookie deal, things like that. Sure, but obviously the relationship with you know Frank Reich. It's huge. You know, I was at Anthony Calhoun's golf outing yesterday, and I was talking to Marlon Jackson about this. You know, it, it's that coach-player relationship at that position that is just so rare. You you really don't see that yep. happen many times in the NFL. It is a not-for-long league with players and coaches. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where I also saw Chuck Pagano yesterday. I'm thinking to myself, I know Chuck retired. I don't know if Chuck ever would have got another chance to be a head coach. And you look at the pure win-loss resume of Chuck Pagano, yeah. and it's worthy of interviews. It's worthy of you know taking another chance. But that's just how this league operates about coaches, play, players, m much more so than, than coaches. So um, that's where I think that there's questions about this working out. But if it does work out, this is a decade-long possibility, and that's very difficult to find at that position at a decently affordable price package, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, again, we'll have to see how it all plays out and everything, but I appreciate taking a chance at quarterback yeah. for the long term. There's just not many times where you enter an offseason and be like, that 
that is the golden opportunity right there at quarterback without mortgaging, you know, a serious amount of the future there. So, well, I mean, your point one and two go hand in hand. I mean, if you're Carson Wentz coming into a new city, right? Obviously, you're coming back to Frank Reich, but you know how many times you've been hit, how many times you've been sacked, quarterback pressures, and you're seeing the offensive line that you're coming into, and you're also seeing the depth that Chris Ballard's adding to that offensive line. You have to feel pretty confident. You know, this is exactly what Carson Wentz would want in a second opportunity. Yeah. You know, back to the point of it's not many times where you can get paired up with a coach that you liked and a player that you liked and those two both being on the same page. It's also where this opportunity is pretty enticing. You know, like you said, from the offensive line standpoint, obviously Jonathan Taylor in that running back room, you know, ranks right up there with anybody else in the league. Um, Frank Reich is a play caller, you know, the, those sorts of things. So, yeah, taking a swing at QB, I'm good with it. You know, the stopgap, the Daltons, the, you know, Nick Foles, what, whatever mm-hmm. else was thrown out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Didn't like it. No more revolving door, hopefully, at quarterback. Let's talk, talk about the future at the defensive end spot. Yeah, and again, this is kind of taking a swing there. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen more in free agency at DN, but at the same time, I can acknowledge that the future at DN is very enticing, very, very intriguing. And we've made the baseball analogy around the draft of just because you've missed, you keep on swinging. Mm-hmm. That position means way too much in sports that you, ha- especially with your defensive structure, you have to. And in Pay and Dayo Adangbo, you have two very different body types. Yep. I think you've got some versatility. And we've stressed on this podcast that with this defensive system, to disrupt timing, you've got to do it at the line of scrimmage. It's very difficult for this team, just philosophically with how they do things in the back end, to disrupt a lot of timing there in coverage. And twofold, it's difficult for corners to do that without getting a bunch of flags. That's Mm -hmm. just how today's NFL is refereed. So um, as much as back-to-back defensive ends might make some people a little bit maddening, like from draft philosophy standpoint, and I can hear you out, especially when, you know, you don't have another pick till round four. You did address defensive end very seriously. So you have to acknowledge that as well. Um, so when you enter contract years for Taekwon Lewis and Kamoko Torre, Ben Banigou's reaching the back half of his rookie contract, and none of them do you sit here and say, you know, we're debating extensions. I wrote it last week on the on the website. You know, Brainsmith and Darius Leonard, no brainers. Naeem Hines, that's being debated. It's not Tyquan Lewis and Kamoko Terry, two mm-hmm. second round picks, you know, in that in that same draft class. So um that is something that I like. I, I feel like when you talk about the future at D tackle, you talk about the future at linebacker, you talk about the future at safety, you sleep pretty well at night with all those spots. Future at corner, maybe not as much. Future at D end, super up in the air. Yeah. And you certainly addressed it with some key resources. So um, I, I would say that's kind of the third and final thing that I really liked if we boil it down to just three. All right. Let's jump to what you didn't like this offseason. It's offseason, and we're going to stay there with the defensive end and letting Danico Autry walk. Yeah, um, this kind of gets back to the present at defensive end, Chris. You know, I, I think back to a podcast and an article I did back in February we did the green, yellow, red, mm-hmm. ranking the free agents for the Colts. Green, obviously, want to keep, you know, should keep those things. Yellow, a little bit more on the fence. Our greens were Xavier Rhodes, al Muhammad, and Danico Autry. Um, you know, is Autry exactly what you want? I, you're nitpicking a little bit, but is that dude – Tough as a mu- yeah, you know what? And does he give you run down and pass down? Does he give you some versatility? I mean, that dude is a <laughs> he's a different breed, and I think in Tennessee, Mike Vrabel's going to appreciate that on their defensive line, and um, that's a guy that I think you're going to miss from those sorts of versatility, the toughness factor, and just the production. Again, mm-hmm. he he produced now. It's one of those things where I think Tyquan Lewis can make a jump and fill a lot of that production. Now, Tyquan Lewis has been banged up. We have to acknowledge his first two seasons was healthy last year, but it's just a trickle down effect. If Lewis is now Autry, you know, who's your new Lewis? Right. Um, 
do you have enough a defensive end? What you know, what if you need Autry to or what if you need Lewis to slide inside and play a little bit there as well? So um I think letting Danico Autry walk, and by all accounts it was very close, and the Colts just said no, and Danico Autry at the age of thirty or thirty one, yeah, and he's certainly gonna go take that money as a I think he's a seventh round draft pick right. or something like that. So don't fault him at all for that and uh, that that was one thing that I thought to myself, you know, present wise, you're gonna miss him. It's funny too looking at. I mean, social media is such a big influencer right now with what everyone sees. When he was just doing some drop back stuff. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like it's one drill at practice. Yeah. I'm sure they're not. He's not dropping back a lot. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna see Danico Autry guarding Naeem Hines out right. of the backfield uh, in those two meetings. Great for the Colts if that happens, but. I don't think Mike Vrabel is that stupid. No, I don't either. All right, let's talk about your second point here of things you didn't like. The future at left tackle. Yeah, so obviously we had a future at DN that you like, future at left tackle, very much up in the air. Now, in a three- to five-year period, this could be solved uh, with Eric Fisher and that signing. It's still a concern to me, Chris, just a little bit more from a depth standpoint. Yes, you have a Sam Tevy, you have a Julian Davenport, you have a Will Holden. Like, we can debate mm-hmm. how good those guys are. But, like, just that fifth round pick, just get that coaching staff somebody to mold. You know, you find those. And the Colts had. Guys on their board, you know, I keep on coming back to. I think Tommy Doyle is a guy from Buffalo, or I think it was drafted by Buffalo, that I thought the Colts had interest in. Uh, The kid out of Northern Iowa as well, Spencer Brown. I mean, those are some big-time athletes at that spot that come from different levels, a little bit raw. Um, So I just felt like giving this coaching staff something to work with would be smart. And that is me saying that even with assuming Eric Fisher is going to be healthy. Now, if Eric Fisher's not healthy, now you're you know back in full-time scramble mode for not only the future, but also right. the present at that position. So, you know, when we talked about the five big positions entering this offseason, Chris, of quarterback, wideout, left tackle, corner, D-end, QB, yeah, you feel like, you hope that the future's there. Uh, defensive end, we talked about it, the future is there. Wideout. I mean, you didn't do anything, really, but internally it could be there if Pittman and Campbell take their respective jumps, which are in you know two different areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, corner, you know, again, a little bit up in the air, and left tackle very much up in the air as well. So, um, so yeah, I, f- future at left tackle, definitely a thing that I did not did not like. Well, you just mentioned it right there. Let's Let's jump to your last point. No outside wide receiver or tight end. Yeah, this gets back to um, – let me jot down a quick note here if you don't mind. No, you're um, good. This gets back to something of when we kind of made our offseason blueprint, Chris, about, okay, you know, what do you want to – who do you mm-hmm. want to see bring back? Who do you want to see added? Um, and I felt like these two positions, again, we just laid out those five, that could have used another body along with the re-sign of Hilton and Rhodes, which we ended up seeing. It's interesting to me how, you know, Hilton, you know, Chris Ballard felt like at one time it was a true coin flip, whether he's going to be back or not. And at that point, you were, what, a week in a free agency, I want to say, when Hilton came back, something mm-hmm. like that? I mean, shit. <laughs> Who are you going out and getting at that point, you know, right. wideout-wise? I think that would have been super interesting to see that play out. So I think we both can si- – well, I think I can sit here and say this. Both of those positions underperformed last year. And you didn't make any outside additions. Now, I guess Marvell Tell would count as one, but you know it's it's banking on a tell. It's banking on a Yassine, Isaiah Rogers. Wide out wise, it's banking on the health of Paris Campbell. And I know you drafted Mike Strong in the seventh round, but you know he's still a Division two guy that you know inevitably is going to have some sort of growth. So that would be something that I didn't like, mostly in free agency. You know, with that. But I felt like both those positions, considering I felt like they were costly. You know, there were some decent moments at the top of those position groups, probably corner more so than wideout last year. But in this league, in those positions, you rely on four or five wideouts over a season. You rely on four or five corners. And I just felt like an outside addition should have been made at one or both of those spots. If T.Y. Hilton doesn't re-sign with the Colts, do you go with Julio? 
Oh boy. That's that's interesting. Um You're going I mean you're you're going to need another wide out. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it, it I, I felt like you had to do something earlier. You know, I don't you know, maybe in March, April teams knew that Julio was certainly on the block. Um you know, it seems like Atlanta was still kind of sifting through the quarterback Kyle Pitts debate there early in the draft, but yeah, I I probably would have looked long and hard at it. Now, it is different skill sets at wide out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you were a weekend of free agency, Chris, and by that point, you know, most of those wideouts, it was a deeper class, they were gone. Now, does that change what you did in the draft? I don't know who was available. Second round, wideout, you know, Dio Dangbo again is, you know, boy, Chris Bauer would love to have him as a son, I feel like, with how much he loves <laughs> that guy. But um, that could have been in a position maybe you explore of instead of going the 2DN route that you did. Have you seen some of the Golden Tate talk, or do you think the Colts are going to sign anyone else before – I don't. I, 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 I really don't. I, I know I've seen Tate's name, and I love Tate. I mean, I've always loved Golden Tate, dating back to his early days mm-hmm. in Notre Dame. And uh, But I, I just don't see them signing another marquee veteran until camp starts. I think they're going to let it roll. And then, you know, even some of these veterans, and you, I think you were texting me last week about Justin Houston, or maybe it was Malik Hooker. Malik you, Hooker, yeah, yeah. Hooker, you were texting me about. You know, right, right now, you just don't see many guys get signed. You know, Julio's different. But, you know, if you're a vet, I'm good. Like, why do I need to be? <laughs> let's wait a week or two into the preseason or training camp. Like, I'll train my ass on my ass off on my own. And then all of a sudden you have a big injury in week two of training camp or the first preseason game. And now you need me. So now right. my leverage is higher. And as long as you are confident, and this is where veterans just got to look in the mirror. You, you've got to make sure that you're in shape. And obviously it's different, you know, you on your own versus in a camp. But that's probably how I would approach things. Now, Hooker, a little bit different. But a guy like Houston or, you know, Tate or somebody like that, I, I'd probably wait a little. Okay. All right, those were things that you liked, things that you didn't like. Now let's jump to Twitter questions. Like you said, not too many right now, but we are sifting through them. And yeah, we'll and make sure. keep on sending. I yeah. know, you know, Chris, you get some, I get some. If you guys have questions, again, I still have a list that – we're just dumping into the pod each week, and uh, I don't know. We probably have 20, 25 questions still on that list, but we'll always take them in the, in the DMs for Chris or I. All right, let's start with Sam. He said, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how the Colts will do the reps in the preseason, how long the starters, the backup, and the fringe roster guys play. I think it would be interesting to see how teams navigate that with only three games now. Sam, I think it's going to be extremely extremely interesting how teams handle the preseason this year. Um, I, I think back to Frank Reich on the job for, I don't know, maybe a week or two, and they go over and they have a town hall at Scottish Rite downtown, which mm-hmm. that's actually where we had our wedding reception, beautiful venue it's in there. It's a great venue. Um, so they got a town hall. It's all these cult season ticket holders, you know, whatnot, and somehow they get asked about the preseason, Frank does, and handling starters, and he's pretty much just like, oh, I'm not playing my starters in the preseason. And I'm like, I'm thinking myself, Frank, uh, these are season ticket members. They pay a lot of money for preseason tickets. You might want to fib a little bit there, but, you know, that's just Frank. He's, he's just pretty candid and honest with it. So I don't think Frank Reich's a big believer in it. Having said that, the pandemic wasn't around back then, and limited off-seasons weren't really around back then. A lot of stuff's changed in the NFL since 2018 when Frank Reich took the job. So, you know, the Colts are playing, and let me pull up their schedule. It's, uh, what is it, every 6th? Yeah. So August 15th, mm-hmm. that's a Sunday. Then August 21st, that's Saturday night at the Vikings. And then August 27th, that is a Friday at Detroit at 7 o'clock. So that's every six days you're playing. I mean, Chris, I think your starters can go a quarter in the opener, two quarters in the second game, and two and a half to three quarters in the third game. That's how I would handle it. I'm not necessarily saying that's how the Colts will handle it. We'll we'll see, but, man, I mean, new quarterback, you know, Sam Tevy at left tackle. I mean, there are some big-time meshing of right. yes, you bring back whatever, nineteen start or something like that, but that's some key spots. Quitty pay. I would like to see some guys out there. And then I just don't know how you how you 
ignore this. You know, it's kind of, and I'm filling in for Dan Dockich today and Thursday, Friday, and filling in on the morning show all next week. So, I'm, you know, I've kind of thought, thinking about Pacers stuff, Colts stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're the Pacers right now, like, you think and you, and you have these big meetings and you get all these big decision makers in a room and you're like, all right, state of the franchise, where are we at? Oh, we haven't won a playoff series in seven years. Have won a playoff game in three years. Like that that's that's just reality. Yeah. If I'm Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, I'm sitting in those rooms, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, how do we get our guys ready for the start of the season? All right. What's the schedule look like start of the year? Oh. It looks like that? <laughs> right out of the gate. Yep. Yeah. We haven't won an opener in how long? You know, Pete Ward chimes in because he's the one that's been there, you know, longer than anybody. Like that that stuff would keep me up at night. So when I hear that, and I know it's a fine balance of, do you go super hard and risk injury, or do you, you know, rest guys and you know save them for the season? I would play my guys. That's what I would do, because um, I look at it, Chris, too, as that final preseason game. I think we talked about this a little bit last week. The amount of time between the last preseason right. game and the first game, right? Yeah. So Friday, August twenty seventh, that is a full sixteen days mm-hmm. until the Seahawks. Come to town, so and again uh, outside of the Vikings, which you know made a push late in last season, you have a pretty reasonable. I mean, the Panthers and the the Lions, like just give your guys reps. Yeah, and I'm not. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not you know too worried about you know who you're playing necessarily in the preseason. Like, um, but I just look at it 16 days, and I'm like, that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So Sam, I would play him a good amount. Obviously, it's something we'll. Get Frank's inside on here once training camp unfolds, and we'll see how it plays out. Well, Kevin, you just mentioned the Pacers a little bit there, and Michael loves your opinions on the Pacers and loves the Pacers podcast that you put out. Um, He's not going to trade Darius Leonard. He feels like his intangibles and the ball hawk, he would be too tough to replace, and that goes back to a question last week where someone asked if we would trade Darius Leonard for the same type of package that the Bears got for uh, Mac. Yeah, and I know we had a couple of comments, I think, in the YouTube, you know, people pretty mm-hmm. like, what the hell did you say about Darius Leonard <laughs> and trading him? So I let me just kind of double back on that a little bit, Chris. Very fair what Michael says on Darius Leonard right here. I totally get that he is unique. You know, I, I, I mean, he is a very, very rare, rare linebacker. Um, I guess I kind of look at it like this, Chris. And I'll put my teacher hat on as a son of Colleen and Bruce Bowen. If Leonard is an A, like grading scale at linebacker, because remember, we said last week, Chris, that you would get two first round picks for trading Darius Leonard. Mm-hmm. So let's say Leonard's an A. Would you sacrifice getting a B minus linebacker in the draft while also saving some stuff financially? Yep. So you're going from the A to the B minus, and you're potentially getting a left tackle or a cornerback of the future. I think that's what you're looking at there of like, I'm trying to think of like decent linebackers that have been drafted recently. I know linebackers in general just haven't been drafted super high, but I mean, honestly, let's say you you get another Bobby Okariki. So you got two of them. Okay. And now you're giving Chris Bauer a first-round pick a left tackle or corner. That's pretty enticing to me. Now, I get it. Leonard finds the ball a whole lot, and you're going to see a drop. And I, I and, and he he does more than just find the ball. I should acknowledge. I mean, we talk about leadership and all that, and what he brings, and he's got to be more vocal with with Anthony Walker. Maybe that plays into it. Anthony Walker's gone. Like, need a bit of more more vocal leader. So I, I, I'm listening to people on the other side of the argument, and. You know, if we were at a bar, we'd probably go one more round just to really <laughs> sift through this this debate. But I think it's a really good debate. It is. Um, so, yeah, I, pre- I don't know. I forget who sent that in last week. But uh, that is what June and July is all about, debating some of this stuff. But we know Darius Leonard is going nowhere. Yep. And hopefully, again, like we said, beers with Bowen. Yes. Yeah. We'll be out and we can have these debates late with, August, an, with another round. Late August, early September. Mm-hmm. Kind of what we're shooting for. We're going to we're gonna finalize that in July and keep you guys posted on that. But I would say very good chance we are out and about for that one. Love it. This one comes from Matt. I know Carson Wentz was sacked 50 times in 12 games, but how many sacks were actually in pocket tackles? 
Carson can scramble and run to extend plays. So I'm thinking maybe some of the sacks were actually him running out of bounds to avoid taking big hits and things of that nature. Shy of the line of scrimmage, which technically is a sack. So maybe he's not as damaged as some people are saying. Yeah, you know, this has been kind of a popular, I think, topic lately. Um, you know, I, I've gone back and watched the sacks. <laughs> Let me say that Philadelphia <laughs> O line was not good. I mean, we can totally, totally um, acknowledge that. So um, I do feel like that is something that you have to have to look at. Mm-hmm. I would say there are times where you hear the phrase often with quarterbacks, "take the profit." That was not as there for Carson Wentz. You know, throwing with anticipation, taking the profit. Um, it might not be the super, super chunk play, but it's a chunk to yep. a degree. So um, when you go back and watch some of those sacks as well, again, there were several where it's just like, wow, that O-line is – they want Carson Wentz to get hurt. It's Friday Night Lair. It's whatever. It's uh, Remember the Titans when the dude lets, lets the guy in and sacks Sunshine yeah. maybe? Or yeah. Somebody. Sunshine flips him over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> for – as high a football IQ as Carson Wentz has, or I guess IQ in general, do you feel like he has? There are some head scratchers with him and his decision making last year. So, is that like I know my talent and I know I can extend plays and I I, I want to cash and, and cash big? Maybe. Um, and if you look at when they got the ball out quick, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I remember back when we did the playing style mm-hmm. debate between him and Rivers. I want to say Wentz was like. 35th in the NFL in getting the ball out quick last year, and I think Rivers was like 5th or 6th. And, again, that's timing, you know, 2.5 versus 2.9. And 4 tenths might not seem like a lot. It's a whole lot when it's only, you know, 3 seconds max. So um, that will be very interesting to watch of – because I went back and looked at Carson's – how quickly he got it out his first two years in the league with Frank – not, like, absurdly quick. Quicker, I believe. But, again, Frank wasn't even the play caller then, so it, it's not fully yeah. into that. But um, the we, I, I think we can say this, Matt. The Philly offensive line was bad, and Carson Wentz had some poor decision-making. So how much do you correct that? Can you say – because I felt, I felt like that's what Andrew did the best in 2018 when he came back. Live with Naeem Hines. Got the ball out quicker. Had a career high in completion percentage. They had a career high, if I'm not mistaken, in efficiency in general. Like he understood then, I do need to get the ball out quicker. Now, certainly, there's times where you extend plays, and there's times where you want to dial up a bigger chunk. I'm right. all for that, and that would be foolish to ignore those strengths of Carson Wentz because we know River strengths. River strengths is accuracy in the short areas, uh, certainly IQ, chess match stuff, all those things. But you got to, I think, kind of mix that to really make sure that not only Carson Wentz isn't getting sacked a whole lot because 50 times in 12 games is an absurd number. Yeah. But, you know, he has battled some injuries in his career as well. So, um, so yeah. Okay, we're going to jump to a question from Trenton. Do you agree that Sam Ellinger is the most undervalued draft pick? He adds the high character and it value that a guy from a similar and, and is a guy from a similar upraising and culture as Carson Wentz to the quarterback room. And also let's talk about his bonus in terms of scouting. He adds a scouting quarterback like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray at practice. And for a six rounder, Trenton would rather have someone like that than a special team piece that's just gonna play only on special teams. Yeah, undervalue. That's a that's an interesting word. Um I guess let me start here, you know, is you know, upraising culture as Wentz, do I feel like they're both good humans that you'd like your daughter to marry? Yes. I don't think we can act like Texas and North Dakota <laughs> are the same. You know, I think Texas high school football and being the quarterback at, where was he, Westlake or Carroll or wherever the hell I mean, he went. Just down there, like you, you're a superstar in high school to start, and then Dude, you go to I Texas. Mean, it's, yeah. First period, it's three girls. Second period, it's four <laughs> girls. I want to talk. I mean, it's it's yeah, you know, Carson. I don't know if you felt the same. Uh, who knows? Maybe in North Dakota, you got nothing else to do besides go to high school football. Um, so Trenton, I think where Sam Ellinger helps this team is a kick in the butt to Jacob Eason. 
you know, it's like the high school basketball coach that keeps that 10th or 11th guy that probably is more like the 16th talented kid at tryouts, but he works yeah. in a practice. He's going to piss people off, and you want the competitive spirit in your other guys to come out because that dude is just working. And I think Ellinger will do that a little bit with Eason. As far as the entire locker room, nothing against Sam Ellinger. Who the hell is listening to a third-string quarterback? Right. Like I, I, I I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just think that's. I know it sounds harsh, but I think that's where you're at. Now to Trent's second point about scout, scout team stuff. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, you know, I guess we're kind of debating here. Would you rather have Sam Ellinger or Isaiah Rogers? Would you rather have Sam Ellinger or Jordan Glasgow? I, you know, when Jordan Glasgow or Isaiah Rogers down a couple punts inside the five, or Rogers takes it to the house like we saw. I mean, yep. that's <laughs> that's when you're like, wait, what? Um, now, obviously, Ellinger's stuff is. A little bit more behind the scenes. Having said that, I think he's fairly valued. But if he starts doing the short yardage stuff or the whatever Taysom Mill stuff, that changes things. Right. But if he's not doing that stuff, I don't think it's this massive change. Um, but the Eason quarterback room, I think, is pretty. Yeah, good. stoking that fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, you just mentioned Isaiah Rogers. John has a question about the Colts' cornerback rotation. Do you think the Colts will go with a matchup rotation for their third cornerback spot? For example, if you're playing a team with multiple fast receivers, you have Isaiah Rogers in, and then when you're playing teams with big body receivers, Marvell Tell is your starting third corner. Just noticed my fly was unzipped. I'm sorry if you if you if you saw that. I did not I notice. No. I guess I was sitting down when you walked in the room. So I <laughs> I apologize to anyone here on the fifth floor if uh, yeah there was some exposure there. Please don't go to HR. Okay, um, I was thrown off. Uh, give it to me again. So if you're playing fast receivers, yeah, would you play Isaiah Rogers and then big receivers Marvell Tell? Would you Got do it. kind of a rotational? cornerback shift this year got it well i mean i don't see rocky scene's name mentioned so john might be throwing <laughs> old, old old rock out there uh it sounds like a good idea yeah i think something we have to remember is third corner is your second outside corner for the colts that that's what that means right uh, kenny moore's in the slot i i hear john out but i also just think teams move wide receivers around so so much it's really hard to kind of match from a corner standpoint, yeah. we didn't see a lot of shadowing from Xavier Rhodes last season, and he was played at an exceptional level. So I guess if you're receiver core in general, if like, you know, whatever, you're playing, hell, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, I feel like Kansas City's wideouts are all pretty fast, maybe not as big. Um, is that something where you play Rodgers a little bit more against them, whereas if you're facing a, I don't know, a bigger wideout group, that's where you would So when you got like the Bucks there. or... Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think that's a good team to pull out there. But I think for the most part, it is chess match, and teams just move their wideouts that much mm-hmm. and that often around. So I, I don't necessarily know if that would work. Kevin, John would love to know what Carson Wentz's accuracy has been when throwing to each position group. Yeah, John, I, um, I don't – that's a lot for me to find. I don't really know, uh, to be honest with you. I, I know he struggled with the high percentage throws last year to running backs, even a little bit of tight ends. Um, now, there were a good amount of throwaways for him last year, mm-hmm. and I think that like that's twofold. One, it's pressure that got to him, and I mean like past pressure, like nothing against him, like the pressure of playing in Philly. And then also it's separation. You know, Are your pass catchers creating enough separation there as well? So... I think it's both of those things. But, yeah, he struggled a bit with some of the higher percentage stuff, and that goes back to what we said earlier about right. you know taking those profits and, and being being dialed in. All right, we're going to jump to an interesting one from Z-Palm. Lots of, lots of navigate here, so just stick with me. Hey, Chris and KB, I feel like Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the red string everywhere chanting Pepe Silvia. But hear me out. Philip Rivers was elite between the 20s but crumbled inside the red zone. The 2020 Colts posted 56% touchdown percentage in the red zone, which was 21st overall and worst by any team in the playoffs. No wonder why Hot Rod broke records. All of his kicks were, all of his kicks were chip shots, and he had an endless opportunity to score points, i.e. we didn't score any touchdowns. This is where Carson Wentz comes in and makes an impact. In 2019 with Jacoby, the Colts' red zone percentage was 64%. 
2018, with luck, it was 67%. Eagles numbers in 17 was 65%, and 18 was 58%, 19, 67%, and in 20, 61%. I don't have the figures, but I'm willing to bet a good chunk of our red zone touchdowns were rushing too. Less of a question and more of a talking point. Okay, there's a lot of good stuff in there, and I know that there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, I think red zone is about getting into the right play, and then you just have a lot of off-script stuff. You yeah, know, It's quick, it's short areas of the field, it's condensed. I think where what will help, two things are really going to help. Well, I guess one thing's really going to help out Carson Wentz this year. That's the run game inside Absolutely. the 20. Yep. And then one thing that's really going to help the Colts inside the 20 is Wentz's ability with his legs. You know, Wentz ran, I think he ran like 4'8", something like that at the combine. I mean, I don't think he's a luck athlete, but I think he's you know, much more closer to luck than he is to Rivers. So just that that threat is going to be so, so important to this team. And I really think the RPO element, um, you know, I was playing, playing in front of Marcus Brady yesterday. I wanted to just be like, they're going to run so many RPOs. You guys are going to run so many RPOs. Like, I, I can just feel it um, this season. So... I think those are the things when we talk specifically red zone, and I think we mentioned it. I'm not sure if Z Paul mentioned it here, but you know when we had Frank Reich on the pod a few weeks ago, I asked him that question about you know red zone, and he brought up Carson in 2017 when he was the best red zone QB, and they kind of struggled in those first few games when Nick Foles got in the lineup in the red zone. Right after that, they were able to get it corrected for the playoffs, but they kind of struggled there. You know that's very real for me. Really resonates to me of like, yeah, yeah, Carson is going to help in that area. And obviously, it was an area where you struggled last year. So I, just, I really just think this team running it well inside the 20 is going to be big. And mm-hmm. I know there's some short yardage plays last year. Obviously, we think back to week one and the fourth and one stuff when you had Hines in there. And I think you're pulling. Um, I do think this team, if they can run it well inside the 20 and then have Carson's legs. It needs to and will be a better red zone team. All right, we have four more. This one from Wake Spike. Has Frank Reich hired a clock manager for the coming season? After the playoff game, this seems like it was a need that could easily be fixed. Yeah, I don't think anybody's been hired officially on that staff. Um, God, it was painful to watch that final drive against Buffalo. I know it. You know, the Colts were really not in a lot of those situations last season. Chris, late game. Here's a ball. Got to go down and score. Um, was that – is this a flaw that was masked? Like That's a question that I have. Of like, Obviously, you got a totally different quarterback in here. Is that good or is that bad? You know, I think good. You can get a little bit more vertical. I, I, I don't know. But, again, from a mastering of the offense sense, you're maybe taking a slight step back in that area. So – uh, this is always an area that I watch, and I, frankly, I watch this for every team around the league. Like I, when I watch other games, I obviously we love late game drama, mm-hmm. and I'm very fixed on like when do you take timeouts, how do you utilize the sideline, when do you spike the ball. That stuff is super interesting to me. I also like enjoy like does the quarterback have dictate all that? Do you trust the quarterback to handle all that? Uh, do you have a coach on the sideline that does that? Is it Purely the head coach, is there someone in the booth that's yelling down and saying, yeah. you know, timeout, time, spike, 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 you know, like those sorts of things. So, um, the chess match element of it. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Just because it is a league that's so, so close. So, um, I, again, I don't think there's been anything official. Certainly nothing I don't, you know, they haven't made like a higher public, but mm-hmm. uh, I might ask Frank that sometime in training camp. Yeah. And I mean, look, you look at Seattle, that's what Russell Wilson was upset about. Right. I mean, right. he felt like he wasn't able to actually truly lead on the field because Pete Carroll was taking over that. And obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers, yeah. to a degree, would would um, echo those same sentiments. So, um, you know, we watched Peyton have a mastery of it when he was here for so, so long. And, you know, you sneak points at the end of the half. You sneak points, you know, at, at the end of games, obviously, but certainly at the end of the half just makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. All right, question from Rod. Do you think the loss of two veterans in the locker room, such as Justin Houston and Phillip Rivers, will be too detrimental to that locker room? I don't think so. I mean, I know Houston broke down the huddle before games. You know, does that become Leonard's job? Does it become DeForest Buckner's job? We've talked about Darius being 
you know, a little bit more of a, I got to get on some guys this year. Uh, you know, Carson, you know, certainly has got to take on some, some vocal leadership, but I don't think an overwhelming, you know, loss, obviously rivers. I mean, he didn't do a whole lot off the field last year. So, you know, how much of his presence was right. really felt, you know, certainly in huddles and in a big offensive meeting, but I don't think as much as you would normally have in a year. I mean, you do watch Rivers. I feel like I've seen some, like, NC State video of him talking to, you know, present-day NC State mm-hmm. teams, and, boy, I mean, he he can give it. And I do think people enjoy playing with him, certainly. But I'm not too too worried about that, Rod. And I think you're expecting guys to rise up in that area of, like, hey, let's get the public accountability that that, that needs to be here inside that locker room and Kenny Moore, you know, thrown into that mix, Mm -hmm. Nelson thrown into that mix, Ryan Kelly as well. Those guys. Yeah. And that's where you're, you're happy with how Chris Ballard drafts. Yeah. You're drafting guys that can be a locker room presence for sure. Well, let's stick there with Chris Ballard. This one comes from Fowler. How would you rate Chris Ballard as he reportedly prepares to sign an extension? He has a home run hit in Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner, probably Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. as well. But, man, if you redo some of those second-rounders and this team is another step up, for instance, Quentin or Taekwon Lewis, Ben Banigou, and Kamoko Ture. Yeah, Fowler, um, obviously you just have draft moves in here. I mean, I think draft-wise I'm giving it a, boy, a high, high B. Um, You know, borderline, borderline A. Where I don't go A is just the true marquee positions. We haven't seen enough. You know, when you think about corner and whiteout, couple question marks there, mm-hmm. drafting wise. Obviously, you haven't really done a whole lot tackle wise. Um, QB, of course, as well, and the defensive end. It's been, you know, all misses draft wise. So, um, you know, overall grade, I, I'd probably push it back to you know more of a B. Um, you know, w- w- when Chris took over. And part of this is coming from, I think, you know, we heard Ryan Grigson on our airways last week, and I'll give some thoughts on that when I uh, fill in for Dan later today. But it was an 8-8 football team, record-wise, with minimal, and I stress minimal, foundational pieces. And then obviously Chris felt like got overhaul that entire defense. Um, but I, I just do think team success has to matter. Like, it has to matter. And the fact that, it has been no division titles in just one playoff game. I've got to take a full letter grade off just because at the end of the day, frankly, that's what matters. Like if you draft well, you know, let's say let's say you you double the Chris Ballard resume for the next five years, or this is year five, I think, so four years, um, two playoff wins, and let's say you throw in a division title. Like, that resume eight years in of two playoff wins and one division title, I mean, that's not getting you into the hall. I mean, that's not getting you anywhere. So um, that's where I'll go with kind of B right now. Um, I know some people would probably have a little bit higher than than that just because they are so focused on, on the draft. And I mean, there's been some brilliant, brilliant drafts. Um, but, yeah, in this scenario here, Fowler, B-plus draft, B-ish overall. Okay, that's fair. Last question for the podcast comes from Dalton. He's holding no punches here. No gosh. Was there ever a time when you worked for the Colts that you wanted to go on radio and shit all over Ryan Grixon or Chuck Pagano? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Dalton, what a question. Boy, nothing screams June 22nd question like like this, Chris. Um, Boy, the old fake punt. That was certainly tough to... uh, Tough to just tiptoe, tiptoe, tiptoe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly times where I disagreed with what, with those decisions by those two, and, and what the Colts let me write or say. And that's obviously the pros and cons of working for a team. They are great pros. You get to see some awesome things and and hang out with whatever cool people, and you know, go to incredible venues. But from a journalistic standpoint, it's not real journalism. You know, it's it, yeah. You have to have a PR spin to it. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget Grigson cussing me out the day of the 2015 draft. <laughs> I mean, I think I was just eating lunch. I didn't I didn't, didn't even know that he knew where my office was, and then he selects Philip Dorsett seven hours later, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, 
So that's not bad karma. No, you know, usually bad. I'm not a believer in jinxes, but boy, that is uh that's not great karma there. So I saw he was making the rounds and Ryan and I have talked since then and he has eventually apologized for that. Um took him a few years, but he he eventually did. Um so I was making the rounds with Dan last week trying to save a little face once that GM job and me personally, I, I probably don't think I I mean he's young, but I don't think he'll get Another opportunity, but I mean, who knows? The Browns go on some crazy run, and mm-hmm. he gets promoted and whatnot. Uh, you never know. And working under Andrew Barry, I think is great. And I think Ryan has admitted this before. Like he never should have been hired as a GM. Like he just that was he was he was in over his head. Yeah, I think he would be the first. I think he said that honestly with Dan a little bit last week, and him and I have had that conversation about it. And you know that's on that's on Jim. I think for making that. Making that hire there, and we, we talk about it often, you typically go polar opposite in your hires. Yeah. You know, and it'll be interesting to see how Nate Bjorkren and the next hire there, but Jim Caldwell with Chuck Pagano is very different. And mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Pagano with Josh McDaniels is different. Josh McDaniels with Frank Reich is different. That's just how the people in those positions. So, yeah, Dalton, you're going to need a lot more, I think, uh, liquor in <laughs> me than uh, some, some water at 9.54 in the morning to get those stories out. But, uh, yeah. I will share just just a little bit of tidbit to our diehards that have made it, you know, fifty some minutes into into this edition of of the uh, of the corner. Well, it'll be interesting to hear your breakdown later today. Like you said, you're filling it with Dan Dockich. For our local listeners, what days are you in studio this week? Yeah, thanks for uh, mentioning that. Noon to three in studio on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday for Dan this week. I'm hoping to have Dane Brugler on the draft guy from the mm-hmm. Athletic later in the week. Um, I know he's been a great guest. And you know, just kind of want to get his thoughts on the guys the Colts drafted, and then look ahead. As always, it's never, never too early to look ahead to uh, next year's draft. So if we get Dane on, we might throw this into the pod. But yeah, I'm doing that this week and the next week. Jeff Rickard and myself, seven to ten a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday. So and for and for our national and international fans, uh, always look in the subscription or look in the description below. We will have the Kevin Corner articles up anything special you're writing on this week yeah so i just posted something on um did kamoko turi yesterday kind of the what if i Mm -hmm. think he's the greatest what if on this team and then today a little bit of ty hilton and just how different the presence of carson wentz could make him uh this year um so i think that i i've got something ballad related that i want to get to later in the week as well so make sure to check that out but um, as we've mentioned we will continue to Post daily content, and we'll get into the scout stories, looking back on some of the draft picks. Do that kind of over July 4th week as well. So that's 1075thefan.com for all that. And as Chris said, he's been putting those links in the YouTube description. So I appreciate you for doing that. Uh, anything else, man? No, a, a quick shout-out. Uh, my yep. buddy Evan Denary got engaged this weekend hey. to his beautiful now fiance Meredith. I know Evan Denary. Son of Chris Denary, the Pacers uh I guess Bally Sports now uh, broadcaster. Yeah. So, congratulations to those guys. I, I grew up playing basketball and baseball with Evan back in the day. Chris Denary was our basketball coach over the IBA and did just a terrific human. Talked to Chris in turn four uh, before the race yeah. started a few weeks back. And he wasn't there yesterday. I was talking to Jeremiah Johnson. I'm like, where's CD? He always makes it out here. And he's like, he's down in Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Evan uh, proposed and he was hanging down there for a few extra days. So, shout out to the Denary crew. A lot of boys in that family. Oh, yeah. And a great, great group there. So, all right, man. Well, I think that's it on my side. Like I said, we'll be back probably next Tuesday with another edition of Kevin's Corner. And uh, he's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on the pod. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.